Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Jazz Randawa. Jazz is the lead performance therapist at Altus, where he oversees the performance therapy staff in addition to providing this service to elite track and field athletes from around the globe. Prior to his role with Altus, Jazz was a member of the high performance staff for Canada Basketball. He is also a co-founding member of Rehab to Performance, an organization that strives to bring together leaders in the field of rehabilitation, physical medicine, and performance. Jazz regularly presents at University Strength conditioning and medical facilities across Canada, USA, and the UK. Jazz is married to his wife, Kayla, and they have a son almost two years old and are expecting a little girl in September. I am pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Jazz. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Scott. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've been looking forward to this conversation all, uh, for a while now, actually, because, um, you know, I've, in the interactions that we've had um, that have been few and far between, but I've, I've found you to be a a good critical thinker and somebody who um, really sort of has uh, a link to both, I guess, the the scientific side of things, but also the spiritual side of things. So I'm curious to sort of see where your your development of that has come from. And I was reading in your in the stuff that you talked about, uh, just that you sent to me, you, you're you're born of uh, Indian parents, and so how was growing up, and what what was the the challenges around growing up for you when you reflect back on on your childhood? Yeah, I mean, I think in retrospect now, I'm I'm so grateful to have had the parents that I've had. Um, Im- immigrant parents are, I think, all of us who were uh, sons or daughters of immigrant parents kind of have an understanding of this, that they really have given up all of their hopes, their dreams of what they wanted to accomplish in their own life. Mm. Uh, and just to provide their kids with a better opportunity to do whatever they wanted. So, um, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, but of course there's going to be some, uh, some interesting challenges as you're, as you're going through an upbringing, that's um, a little bit different. Everything to them for, as far as Canadian culture goes. And I was fortunate in the sense that, uh, my parents, really um, wanted to blend their culture from where they came from um, with when uh, with what they were uh, seeing from a local environment so we were we were lucky in that in that regard um, but of course there's, there's challenges to that from like a daily life standpoint so I had an older sister who uh, realistically probably had to grow up a little bit faster than most girls at that age would uh, I, I didn't follow I mean I followed suit as well uh, as soon as I could uh, kind of contribute and help out and so um, small things from, you know, reading letters and kind of interpreting that for your parents so they can understand, you know, bills mm-hmm. and whatever it may be. So 
I think that we were just exposed to how the world worked uh, at a very young age and you start to see it for, for what it is essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, that also being said, like my parents and my father, especially was extremely hard worker. Um, and he always, you know, uh, maybe to a fault believed in that if you just work hard, um, that is the solution for everything, just hard work. Um, obviously as you kind of go through school, you know, now it's not just about working hard, it's working hard in the right, the right areas, uh, Mm -hmm. being able to think critically. And to me, that's where my mom kind of played a a bigger role. Um, she was, um, you know, a university graduate in India who came over and and unfortunately like nothing transfers over. Right. So, Mm -hmm. uh, she ended up, uh, owning her own janitor company. Um, but she was always the one to kind of preach, uh, (laughs) you, you need to be focusing on your schoolwork. You need to understand, um, how to think, how to apply yourself so that you can get to university. And once you get to university, it's about, okay, well, the next steps are going to be, I mean, (laughs) I had to be a doctor. That, that was it. That was, that was, her mind was made up. Right. So <laughs> that's why I went to chiropractic school. Right. Um, but those, those were the things. And my, my dad was kind of, uh, uh, he pushed sports a little bit more. Right. So the brains and bronze are like, it's, uh, you can kind of see it uh, with my parents there, but yeah, so it was, uh, it was unique, um, mm-hmm. kind of growing up and it's, uh, it's interesting enough having a little guy now, I, I try and figure out how I can kind of recreate those same, learning environments. Um, I mean, it worked well for me, it worked well for my sister. Um, and I see it as maybe something that's lacking a little bit amongst our own friends. Um, mm. just that idea of delayed gratification. I don't mm. think anyone would argue that with the younger generation. So, you know, how do you, how do you start to implement that? And it's, it's been a, an interesting <laughs> little experiment thus far. Yeah, well, I'm actually going to circle back to that um, a little bit uh, in terms of, you know, today's circumstances and how that served you. But before we get into that, so you you grew up where in Canada? In Prince George, yeah, northern northern BC. Okay. Very small town, yeah, 80,000 people. And it, what, uh, what brought your parents there? Uh, at that time, when you were immigrating from Canada, because they had other friends, there was really two locations most people would go to. One would be Vancouver because it's a central hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, it wasn't probably as big as it is now, obviously. Um, and the other spots would be any of the smaller northern communities because there was a sawmill. Mm-hmm. And my dad obviously worked in the sawmill, as did his friends, as did my uncle who came as well. So it's just the lumber industry was a huge uh, anchor for a lot of uh, Indo-Canadians. And, and mm-hmm. so they kind of gathered around uh, towns that would support that. So anywhere from, you know, Cornell to Prince George, even farther North, even those who were, uh, in Vancouver at that time, there still were some, um, some lumber mills, uh, and then obviously on the Island as well. So, uh, the forest industry, uh, it is a big, big anchor point for a lot of uh, Indo-Canadian families. So it, your mom obviously was the sort of academic driver for you. Um, and so how, how does your discovery of, well, you, you joke that you're going to be a doctor, but how do you discover sort of chiropractic and that that's something you can actually do or, or consider doing? And, and how does that come about for you? Our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is going virtual. The Reconditioning Level 1 has been turned into a complete online experience, and all the time-tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual Zoom sessions. Reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients. Check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the Reconditioning Revolution. 
Yeah, so um, it's probably not as uh, uh, crazy of a story as people want to, to believe, but uh, <laughs> I was slated to go to, to medicine, right? I wanted to, uh, to ultimately, I think, become an orthopedic surgeon was my thing, a sports ortho, mm. because I had to be involved with rival sports. Um, obviously, there was a big push for my mom to, to get into medicine, but the, I mean, there, there wasn't like you have to become this specialist or anything like that. She just wanted me to, to really just gain further knowledge or a higher level of understanding. Um, but having my own strength and conditioning business at the time, uh, I had an opportunity to shadow a few different orthopedic surgeons mm-hmm. and it, they're, they're all great, lovely people, um, really cool profession for sure. I just realized relatively quickly that it wasn't for me. Uh, and I say that because it was kind of the same circumstances. Someone would come in, uh, they would have uh, an ACL, whatever, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the surgeon would do their initial consult. Uh, decide on a surgery date, see the person again during the surgery, and then maybe lucky for one follow-up, maybe two. That was it. Mm-hmm. So a total of less than five interactions with someone. And I knew that I wanted to be a meaningful part in the in the lives that I was working with. I mean, being a strength and conditioning coach, that was like my thing, right? I wanted to really help uh, these kids and that that's what they were. They're just kids. Are you working with hockey players in Canada? Most of them are like, mm-hmm. you know, 13 to 15 to 16. By the time they're say 18 or 19, they kind of had their, <laughs> I mean, at that point, either you're, you're, you know, in the WHL and you're a big prospect for the NHL or your career is kind of starting to, you know, be on the, uh, the outskirts a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to give them the best opportunity they could, to reach whatever potential it was. And I think for me, it was more getting people into the NCAA because they would get a free education out of it, knowing the statistics of, and I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but uh, like the, the, the WHL, like you look at statistics of it. Uh, yes, they promise you, you know, their schooling is going to be paid for, but 90% of the kids don't ever actually take that opportunity afterwards. So mm. I saw education, obviously with my mom being a big thing and I wanted to help these kids not only play hockey, but you know, have a good career for themselves. So, um, within that, it, it, there's more than just what you write on the piece of paper. There's more than the programs. It's about forming relationships and meaningful relationships with these guys. Um, you know, they were all friends for sure. Uh, but just, you know, having that in you, and that's the only thing you know, when you want to help people, you want to be a part of what they do. I just, I knew I wasn't going to get that through medicine. Hmm. So then I start to look, okay, well, what else can you do in Canada? Like what other doctorate degrees are there? Um, osteopathy is not regulated. Um, if you were going to do that, you obviously go down to the U S you come back and then you become, you know, a member of the college of uh, physicians, which kind of lands me in a similar spot to being an orthopedic surgeon. So you don't get to see people as much, uh, physios, which are great. Um, they're still a master's degree. And so I wanted to, you know, if I'm going to dive into something, let's like, you know, spend four years on this and really learn it. And so the other option would have been a chiropractor. Uh, I had seen a chiropractor when I was younger playing basketball. Um, and it always had good experiences. I was, you know, I, I saw, I was lucky enough to, to meet the ones that were, you know, um, were meaningful, uh, had intent and they weren't trying to just, you know, see me for the rest of my life per se. Uh, so kind of just with that, I'm like, well, what, what, what can you really do in Cairo? And at that time I was uh, a member of, uh, the hockey strength and conditioning forum, uh, Devin McConnell and, uh, Anthony Renna, I think were at that time the main leaders of it. Uh, and Jeff Kubos was on that forum. And so uh, I was lucky enough to just kind of reach out to him in a private message. Like, Hey, I'm thinking about going to school. 
like, what do you, because you're a chiropractor, like, what do you think about all this stuff? And I knew him from more of a, a strength and conditioning role. Jeff was awesome, right? So he helped me out well, with a lot of things and some realities. And so kind of with that, I, uh, you know, I applied and got in and out the rest is that. Hmm, interesting. So what did you, what did you excel at from a sports perspective before? When yeah, basketball was my, uh, my main sport growing up. Um, okay. I played at, you know, at the regional level. So the basketball BC teams kind of in the off seasons, um, we were a double A school. So that's, you know, relatively small, 800 kids ish. Um, but in my C, uh, grade 11 year, we were ranked, I think one or two in British Columbia. So we played at a relatively high level. Um, after high school, I actually played uh, a year in college. Um, and then at that point I had an opportunity to, um, play professional overseas in mm. Ireland, which is not, <laughs> it's, it's not a big deal at all, really. Right. Um, but then I had to kind of, you know, look at this from a, you know, a, a realistic position, like you're not going to play in the NBA. Right. And it was, it was fun. Um, but I didn't want to spend a few more years of my life, you know, making $18,000 a year uh, and then having to go back to school and just kind of start at a, you know, a later age. So I decided that, all right, it's time to kind of part ways with basketball a little bit. And let's just kind of, you know, figure out school. Uh, at that time I had always been like kickboxing in the off seasons and knowing me now, I can't just do anything at a surface level. I always have to dive deep. And so when basketball was gone, the void was filled with kickboxing, which then led into this thing called jujitsu. And all of a sudden, if you were doing kickboxing and jujitsu, mind you, this is like the early 2000s, right? You became this combat athlete, an MMA guy. And that's ultimately kind of where I landed. Um, I ended up having a professional fight uh, in 2009 oh. or something like that. So that that kind of took um the place of basketball for a number and it's still to this day for a number of years um, and so you know there was a i'm very fortunate to have a a very supportive team around me at that time as i was going through my undergrad and still very very close to those guys to this day so yeah combat sports uh kind of took over um and you know you mentioned philosophy early on i think for me people on the surface level can see this as like, wow, it's kind of weird, like combat that's aggressive. And it's not, for me, it's not about the aggressive nature. It's actually kinetic chess is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jiu-jitsu, I think is, uh, it's a great teacher. Uh, it, it teaches you delay gratification for sure. It makes you understand that those physical qualities that we think are so important in the gym can mean nothing when someone who's much smaller than you is manipulating and is uh twerking your body in, in positions you didn't think were possible. And so there is a, definitely a, a humbling experience to say the least, but it's in my mind, it is a thinking men's game, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not just some brute strength thing. So I think that makes you think differently. Um, it makes you appreciate philosophy a bit more. Uh, for those of you listening, if you don't know who John Danahar is, he's uh George St. Pierre's one of his uh, jujitsu coaches. He's actually taught brass a hobby. Uh, I think he gave him his black belt, but uh you know, this guy was a philosopher. And so if you just read some of his posts, you start to see the, uh, the philosophy aspect of it. And it's quite relevant to coaching mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the foundation of most of the martial arts come from that, that spiritual underpinning. And then yeah. when you combine that with also like, no, not necessarily force meeting force, but how you manage force, which is quite an interesting framework for, the work that we do now, um, you know, recognizing that it's not always about 
maximum force. It's about how you produce the forces and where they link and all that sort of stuff. That's important about it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what then is that what inspires your strength conditioning um, sort of foray when you get into training people? Uh, yeah. So originally it was, you know, you're, you're playing basketball and we're, <laughs> we're all just trying to dunk the basketball is what it was, right? Let's just be honest, right? So I'm going to about vertical jump. So I've kind of experimented with every program in the world, uh, when it came to that, um, from like jump alert to one of my buddies actually had those jump soles, the shoes. I was going to ask you, did you yeah. have the jump shoes? <laughs> yeah. They, they destroyed my calves. I wore them for like a week. It's just like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. But I mean, I had the full gambit. Like, um, my, my introduction truthfully to strength and conditioning, I have to give credit to my, to my dad. Uh, I was in grade four when we started working out, like you came home one day and uh, you know, he had all these movies. It was uh, Rambo and uh, Terminator, all these Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Like, oh, we got to be big like this. So, <laughs> I mean, talk about toxic masculinity back in the day. It's okay because mm-hmm. it's back then, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, he had played uh, his sport at high level. And so we started to, to go to the gym and I absolutely hated it. Um, but then I saw there was some benefit when it came to, you know, helping me run or helping me uh, play basketball. Uh, and through that, you start to find like, Hey, there's better ways to work out. And it's called flex magazine. And that that's really where I started to dive into what I thought was strength and conditioning. And I think a lot of us, I mean, back in the day, right. That's where mm-hmm. you start bodybuilding. And so chest day and back day. And then, um, one of my friends was trying to introduce me to, uh, to weightlifting, uh, Olympic lifting. And I made the, the typical, everyone's going to laugh when I say this, but we've all been in this same uh, position, I'm sure. I asked them like, what, what muscles is the clean work? <laughs> if I couldn't figure out like what muscles was working, I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you grow up a little bit and you start to understand like different training, uh, perspectives and, and principles and methodologies. Um, and you know, one thing leads to another and you start to figure out, Hey, these, you know, these, these Soviet people kind of have this thing figured out. Um, and at that time I was really just training myself until I stopped playing basketball. Um, then I had some buddies who wanted to be like, Hey, can you, can you help us? But yeah, for sure. And so that, that's where I think my introduction into being a strength conditioning coach kind of came into into play. Uh, And from there, it just kind of, you know, led from working with basketball players to working with a few combat athletes to leeching into hockey. And then from there it kind of took off. But my, I mean, I guess for me, uh, strength and conditioning is, uh, it's a first principle in how I think. I went into chiropractor school saying I'm a strength and conditioning coach and I graduated chiropractor school saying I'm a strength and conditioning coach who also is able to touch people. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I am today. So it has really kind of shaped uh, my philosophy, if if you will. Uh, And I had a lot of great mentors kind of along that way. So we leave flex magazine behind. I got, I got to, you know, give a shout out to Joe Weider for sure. But um, kind of as I, so I started to understand, you know, what, what was really going on in that process and how to blend that from a therapeutic standpoint. I think, you know, guys like Charlie Weingroff, um, who is still a mentor to this day of mine was instrumental in me figuring things out. Um, and it was because he was applying just general strength and conditioning principles to what he did from a rehabilitation standpoint that was new. Um, at that time as well, and I should have mentioned this before, um, another reason why I went into school to begin with was I was frustrated, we'll say, with, you know, uh, the guys who I was working with would have great off-seasons, 
they'd go to their respective teams, you know, they have a good season, they would come back and might have a niggle, or they might actually have something that's a little bit more of a meaningful injury. And we would try to work with physios and chiros and you send them away and it'd be like the, the archaic model of like, we're just going to do, you know, these, you know, foundational or rotator cuff exercises and they never really paid attention to the demands of the sport. Mm-hmm. They never really wanted to get involved with what I was doing, which is fine because here I am just a loaning strength conditioning coach. You're the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like they weren't getting anywhere. And so I just got frustrated with this and I took it upon myself to be like, okay, well, maybe I can do this rehab thing. And I was given an opportunity to help one of my friends. He, uh, he tore his ACL in his last year of college and, you know, he didn't have the money to get, um, you know, a physio to work with him. So he had a surgery and I was like, Hey, I mean, if you want, I can help you out. And then went to work kind of helping him. Um, we really just followed James Andrews, like accelerated rehab program. Um, and it worked. Like he, he got back to, you know, being able to do what he wanted to do within four or five months, which I thought, and again, at this time, I was like, I'm the man. I got you back in four or five months. Look at me, right? <laughs> Knowing what I know now, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty stupid, right? But um, uh, I, I think that just gave me confidence. And, and maybe if, I, if I'm being honest with myself now, that, that's another example of me being young and dumb, right? Thinking that that was the solution. I got you back in five months this is what we need to do. We need to completely abandon traditional philosophies and really start to implement strength and conditioning. So I, I went into school, perhaps with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, right? Thinking mm. that these old school clinicians, and I mean, rightfully so, they didn't understand strength and conditioning. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of other values that they had. And I, I think I was just not in the position to want to hear that at that time. Mm. Um, and so a lot of maturing, I guess, has occurred since that point. But when you see <laughs> when you see guys like Charlie who were able to kind of put that together, like that, that for me was the ticket. Right? I was searching for a way to explain how important what we do um, in strength conditioning is to physical medicine. Mm. Um, it's probably around that same time as well uh, that you know Stu and Jerry. And Dan and Kevin, all these guys are over in the UK, right? This is like 2010. And Stu's blogging at the time. And I remember reading a piece from Jerry. And I knew who Jerry was because when you go to chiro school in Canada, you want to figure out who the best chiros are, who are actually working in sport. And Jerry was working with the Seahawks uh, mm-hmm. up until that point. And he had a little bit of a leave there, right? And so uh, he had written a piece called What is Weakness Anyways? And I think that was a big eye-opener for me because it... Um, you know, it, it moves away from, I think, manual muscle testing. And I'm probably, you know, this is just my interpretation of it. There's a lot of different ways we could talk about that particular article. But, mm-hmm. I mean, at that time in school, we learned, okay, you do this muscle test to figure out if you have weakness. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that just doesn't, like, you know, like, sure, you could be weak on a table, but then they're able to execute function. So now what? How do I make sense of this? And I think Jerry was able to kind of, you know, say a few things in that that made me think, okay, there's more to this than just the, you know, the superficial, here's a muscle contraction. Here's what we go going on. We need to strengthen this muscle. I started to connect some dots on that end. Right. So I think I was fortunate. I had Charlie in a local level, what those guys were doing overseas. And that was really fueling my fire for this desire to figure out, uh, ultimately how to make people perform better. And so that's kind of, uh, 
don't know if we went on a tangent there, Scotty, or not. No, it was beautiful. I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast is to go uh, tangentially into different directions. I mean, you're talking about sort of your growth process and, you know, running into a guy like Charlie or uh, you must know Sam Gibbs, I guess. Do you know Mm -hmm. Sam? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Canada basketball guys and stuff. But um, from a critical thinking standpoint, like, before I go into critical thing, I want to go. Just, what did you fall in love with in chiropractic? Because there, there's the, you know, you have this kind of mindset about, you know, well, I want to be a doctor, and then you rec- have this reckoning about what that actually might mean and what you can actually um, impart and do, and then you go to school in chiropractic and you have an assumption probably what it is about, but now you get into it and do you, do you fall in love with it? Do you, do you, do you, do you become skeptical about it? Do you have, you right. know, because chiropractic has its own series of, you know, call it different societies of, of belief yeah. systems, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, how did, how did you sort of manage through that, uh, yeah. that, that quagmire? Matrix Fitness is one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Their equipment and programs are used by athletes and coaches at all levels globally. COVID-19 has changed and will change so many things. During these uncertain times, Matrix's team of engineers have quickly put together its free home workout app and youth at home workout programs. With its launch just a couple of weeks ago, they now have first response Responders, pro athletes, and average folks using the guide to help them with their daily movement. This is a great example of how Matrix strives to be the best fitness company in the world to serve people and communities is their goal. You can download their free app and see additional resources at Matrix Total Solutions Support.com. That is HTTPS www.matrixfitnesssolutionssupport.com. Yeah, it, it was an interesting experience. And uh, I mean, so I'll, I'll say this what follows are just my own, my own ideas. I'm not trying to say that everyone is this way. And so mm-hmm. for those of you who are listening, don't, don't shoot the messenger here. But uh, <laughs> I think it was day one or day two, I realized I probably made the biggest mistake in my life in going to chiropractic school. Mm-hmm. It was not what I expected at all. Um, at that time, I was probably, uh, you know, highly influenced by, say, the FMS, the SFMA, uh, just this movement piece, kind of what Gray was doing, having an understanding of those who came before him. So Yonda, um, very, very early stages of even DNS, like just the rumblings that, you know, in 2010 of, of the DNS world were kind of entering my mind a little bit. And I thought that going to school, I was going to be exposed to those ideas and start to, you know, really uh, be able to apply them. And it was the furthest from the truth. Like mm-hmm. people were, again, just in this, what I define as an archaic institutionalized model where they just wanted you to pass your board exams. And rightfully so, like looking back mm-hmm. on it now, school teaches you what not to do. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because there's mm-hmm. certain times where you don't want to treat someone. You want to send them off because there's a red flag or, you know, whatever uh, may be the case. But I was, uh, you know, I thought to myself, man, what am I doing here? Like I'm, I'm going to be working backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that this is going to be my opportunity to learn more and to really kind of you know dive into the depth of knowledge of what I wanted to learn about. And it just kind of wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So I think I just resorted back to what I've always done. It's like, okay, well, if I can't necessarily get the things I'm going to help myself right now in this particular moment, can I at least help others? And so that's kind of what I, what we did. Uh, we ended up starting what was, you know, just called the strength and conditioning club at our school. Uh, through kind of word of mouth and 
uh, I guess through the grapevine, really Craig Liebenson was in town and he, uh, he was running a seminar and he invited myself and my, my, my good friend, uh, Ricky Singh, uh, who was my roommate at the time, uh, to, to dinner to kind of discuss this idea of strength and conditioning and, and the club itself. And he wanted to help kind of promote that throughout all the chiropractic schools in the U S now, as a young kid, you start to think, wow, this is crazy, right? Like this guy wants to help us do this. Uh, and that was like the genesis of rehab to performance, which at the time really was just meant to be uh, a student club that would be implemented at, at both PT and uh, chiropractic schools across the U.S. And just a way, a, a vessel for more students can, to kind of understand, hey, there's a different way of approaching what we, co- what we call rehab. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe instead of rehab, it really is just good training is what it is, right? And so... Um, that, that kind of spurred that whole movement. I got heavily involved in that and kind of helping, um, others. Now at that time, there's always silver linings, right? Like I was in a position then to, I'm on the East coast. Um, there's a lot of good, um, clinicians and training addition coaches that aren't too far from you from the East coast. So we started doing my rounds. I started visiting as many coaches, as many clinicians as I could throughout Toronto, um, kind of into the U S spent a lot of time in Boston uh, before school, I had the opportunity to do um, like a mentorship with Mike Boyle, who was a huge, um, you know, part of the philosophy for me at that time. So I got to go back and kind of spend some time with him a little bit uh, down to the, uh, the East Coast to you know, Brigitte Pertel at Quinnipiac, um, kind of r- really all over. And whatever seminar had came up, I would try to you know, go out and learn from all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, we were lucky that a clinician, uh, Dr. Glenn Harris, actually had a seminar company. He, he was um, a clinician for the school and we had reached out to him. We said, Hey, look, can we work for you? Like, we'll do all the cleanup, all the takedown and everything you need from a logistical standpoint. If we can just sit at the back of these seminars. And, you know, he, he agreed to that and he, and he gave me a huge learning opportunity in doing so. So we got to like every seminar he bring into town, which would happen maybe once every two months, you know, we got to be involved with this. And so, this is how I, I formally meet Stu McGill, who was another big influence for me, right? I mean, as mm-hmm. a chiropractor, he has to be. And so we were very fortunate to not only learn, I think, just from a lot of different teachers, but make meaningful connections with these people. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, to this day, if I want, I could just call up Stu and just have a conversation if we wanted to, right? And I, th- I find a tremendous amount of value that I'm forever great. Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. So you meet all these different people. I want to play off of that a little bit for maybe younger practitioners who are listening. You know, sometimes you, you get this conversation on the world of the internet these days about people being paid to do internships and people not making on enough money and things. And I, I totally get that, but 
I think sometimes the understanding of the value proposition in, in spending time with different people, uh, sometimes at your own expense to make those connections, how those connections actually um, manifest into your character, your approach, and, and also maybe opportunities, maybe reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, so with our own internship program, I like to tell this story to uh, to all of the Altus interns as well. Um, and I, I view internship programs kind of as a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. right? On one aspect, you are going to have um, this laid out methodology that you're going to follow for 12 weeks. So you get to see the inner workings of it. You, get, you actually get to apply it. Um, in addition to that, you get the network, you get the, the community that comes along with that. So at Altus, obviously, we're very fortunate that we have a great community of people that we could call and rely on to help us at any given moment, right? And I think that that comes from a place of first and foremost of honesty and true friendship. Um, the professional aspect of it, I think, comes after the fact. But what I think interns see is that for better or for worse, it's, an, it's a way for them to get into a network of people. Um, if you intern with us, I mean, if anyone wanted to come shadow you, Scott, and they said they were an intern at Altus, I'm almost certain you'd say, oh, okay, cool. That You, you kind of have an understanding of where they would be at and that they're probably a good person for, for you to be able to allow into your environment because they're not going to be an idiot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, conversely to that, though, the other side of that sword is that you don't necessarily get the autonomy. You don't get the opportunity to make mistakes. And sometimes learning from those mistakes is the most important piece for your own development. Mm. Uh, as a practitioner myself, now I was able to visit all these people, but I've never done an internship in my life, right? And so that, that for me causes two things. One, I had to work for this network. Um, I had to go out and see these people. I had to spend probably more money if I look back at it now. <laughs> I spent double my tuition really kind of like traveling. And to me, it was all worth it, right? If I can spend half a day with Mike or, you know, a day with Charlie, that's worth it. Like that there's going to be, even if it's just one little pearl I get from that, that can really change the course of my career uh, as far as how I think about things. <laughs> and so, um, that, you know, the limitation for me was you had to work for your network. Okay, cool. But the benefit was I was able to make those mistakes. I had full autonomy to run training programs the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I mean, so as I'm going through school, I'm still running the strength and conditioning business, right? Like it just happened to coincide really well with the hockey off season. When school was kind of finished, I come back in the, in the summer times, all the guys would be back and we just pick up where we left off during the year. We have conversations, we kind of manage things, uh, which is oddly enough, kind of front via distance when we needed to. Um, and so I was able to every year get better and better and better. Um, that helping um, them reach what goals that they wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. So, awesome. now if I'm a, if I'm a young person listening to this, I'm not saying don't do internships. I think that they're immensely important. It's just you really need to understand that the goal for you should not necessarily just be to have a network. The goal for you is to better yourself. And if you're going to enter an internship with the sole purpose of only having a network. Look, knowing a lot of people is not going to get you anywhere if those people don't see the value you can bring to them as well, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, it really is forging your own, and there we say the word philosophy, which seems to get, you know, beat up a lot these days. But (laughs) it's really what it comes down to. You need to be able to think for yourself on things. And, you know, what do you hold to be true? Now, it can always change. Like, you don't have to just commit to, you know, one thing now. It can always change. 
But do you have a set of guiding principles in, in how you operate? I think that is the most important thing to get. And that only comes with experience. So what, have, what have become, what have become yours? Uh, I think, I mean, the, you know, the performance therapy methodology really is what I prescribe to now. Um, and, and for those who, who may not know, um, our methodology is one that really just, it, it's compounding our knowledge of not only like sport medicine, but movement science. And we're doing it in a way to, to better understand and more importantly, to enhance health and performance. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, a pretty important distinction to make. You know, in, in our field, I don't see there being the separation between health and performance. Mm-hmm. I see it being uh, a line on a continuum. When you have an athlete who's performing well, we can, knowing what we knew now from movement science standpoint, I can you know, say that they're probably relatively healthy. Um, conversely to that, when we have adverse health, performance will probably suffer from that as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of an understanding of, you know, while what makes up movement science and that, and that has a whole, uh, that's a deeper rabbit hole to go into. I'd say currently it's my understanding of complexity science, you know, dynamical systems theory, uh, ecological dynamics, all these big words to really say motor skill and, and uh, skill acquisition. Those are vital to me when I'm looking at health of an athlete. And I think they should be vital to anybody because ultimately this is what we're doing. I think we're just managing people's ability to perform a task, to perform a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other half of that, obviously we have to look at, um, you know, the, the actual sport medicine side of things. Is there a better way when we do have pathology to address issues um, that are, you know, coming back to respecting, uh, the idea of that some type of load or some type of strength conditioning work is probably the most beneficial thing that we can do um, in addition to any of the other the modalities that we want to use. Mm-hmm. So I, I think those two areas, the, the movement science standpoint and the sport medicine standpoint, uh, at the surface really define who I am now. Um, and I also just think it's my interpretation of the two and how to reconcile if there are differences between those two that make, I think what I do unique compared to, uh, to compared to, you know, some others. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you actually run into the the gang at Altus and how do, how do you become a part of that? Uh, that yeah, that, that's another, animal. Uh, yeah, kind of another interesting story. So I just mentioned, um, Stu starts blogging, uh, and he probably blogs too much, to be honest. He talks too much too. So, <laughs> um, so I'm starting to read kind of like, you know, his interpretation of what they're doing uh, in the UK. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but uh, he actually wrote a piece that talked about his journey um, from going from Calgary to the UK, thinking, you know, he's going to have that I made it moment. And the moment didn't show up. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, I'm just kind of not in another environment. And I found that really interesting because at the time I wanted to believe that, oh yeah, there's going to be this time in your career where you have that, yeah, I made it, I'm here now moment. And it didn't come. And it didn't come because you're just continuing to want to push your boundaries. And I found that like really, really interesting. So I started to kind of get into um, just reading more about what Stu is writing. Now at this time, everybody knows Dan Path. Uh, when you're, you're a Canadian because of Donovan, right? Like, you know, growing up, I had Donovan's protein powder, man. <laughs> like that's the NHF stuff. And so if that had always been like, you know, track and fields in Canada is um, it, everybody, well, at least when it comes to the Olympics, is going to kind of settle in and kind of watch that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was familiar with Dan's work because he had a, a DVD that him and Tom Telez had um, produced. My, Mike Boyle had promoted that. And so I got on that train and started to read you know, everything that was available about Dan Papp. And he has a lot on the internet for those who are listening to this, some of his old school programs, if you will. Um, so I was already familiar with him. And then just, you know, drawing that connection, oh, these guys actually, you know, spent time with Dan. Okay, that's cool. Like, you know, back in the 90s, they were going out to visit him. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I knew of Jerry Ramajita because of, uh, you know, just trying to do my due diligence and figuring out, you know, I always knew I wanted to work in high performance. I need to go talk to the chiropractors who are working in high performance. And so I kind of reached out to him um, by email. He probably won't remember that either. But we were lucky enough to finally kind of uh, meet in person in 2013, I believe it was, 12 or 13. Uh, Art Horn at the time was you know, still at Northeastern University, and he's running the, uh, the BSMPG, which uh, was a landmark. And Art, if you're listening to this, you need to bring it back. Uh, it was a, a landmark uh, uh, point where, you know, everybody who I respected from uh, in, the, in the world of sport performance was kind of coming to this one seminar. So it was great from not only the speaker standpoint, but just, uh, you know, a way for everyone to kind of get together in, in a formal sense. Um, and so he was presenting there one year. Um, he was uh, doing a lecture and then a practical on joint pumping. And we were able to kind of connect there. Uh, and just from that, that time, we kind of stayed in close contact. Uh, I ended up graduating uh, Cairo School. Um, still talking to Jerry. I uh, went and visited him a few times at Fortius. Uh, he was running a seminar. And he, he brings up, he's like, hey, there's a, we're going to do this like performance therapy thing um, at Altus. Uh, you should, uh, you know, you should come it, it, at this point. It was the very first, like the first ever performance therapy program. Um, and they were only having it as an invite only just to kind of test the waters a little bit. Uh, and so Jerry had, you know, invited me, um, Joel Jamison, who was a good friend of mine at the time. And I mean, still is, uh, he had, uh, you know, spoke about it as well that he was going and he, he was telling me about, I should, you know, you should come for sure as well. And so I get down there and then I get to, you know, uh, meet, you know, meet Stu and meet everybody else and just kind of take in that program, which I mean, to me spoke immensely, uh, mm-hmm. to this day was the best. And remember I'm the guy that took over 80 continuing education courses through my time in school. Um, <laughs> it was the best, the best seminar I've ever taken. And I'm not just saying that, um, there's, there's reasons as to why, uh, you know, we were, we were lucky that, uh, a coach from Vancouver, actually owned a home in, in the, uh, the uh, Scottsdale area and he was housing all the participants. So Jerry was there. I was there. Joel was there. Like everybody who was taking the course stayed in the same spot. So that gave us an opportunity to, you know, be together all the time. So we ate together, you know, we got coffee together. We would, you know, go to, to Altus to take the course, work with athletes. And so you're learning this methodology, but you have full access to Jerry. And you have full access to everybody else who's taking the course. And you get to get into this think tank, right? And it was just a phenomenal learning experience. And I guess through that process, I don't know why they thought I was good at what I did. But um, after that, that's 2014. I kind of come back and start working, obviously, with Canada Basketball. And then, you know, Stu reaches out one day. He's like, hey, you ever think about, you know, working for Altus? I'm like, in Toronto? What? You guys are going to open up a spot here? And he's like, no, in Phoenix. And I was like, wait, so you're telling me I get to, you know, work with Jerry, work with you, work with Dan. Um, Kevin had just signed on at the time as well. Uh, I get to like, spend every day working with you guys in this environment. Yeah, sign me up for sure. And so it was, 
it's just serendipitous, man. That's just, and, and I, I hate to say that sometimes because people ask, like, how do you get to where you were? I'm like, I was just lucky. That's what it was, mm-hmm. man. They saw something in this young kid who's probably a little bit way too cocky for his own good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, my conversations and, and developing a relationship with Jerry, having worked with Canada basketball, who I'm ever indebted to Charlie Weingar for giving me an opportunity as a young graduate to do. Um, I think just those experiences and kind of knowing that I, uh, at the very least, we'll have this thirst for knowledge that will never go away. And so if I don't know an answer, I will figure it out. And that's just how I am versus getting complacent and just doing the same thing again and again and again, right? Well, that's a good way to segue to your July 4th uh, birthday uh, purpose. Uh, so uh, you, sir, are a cancer four. And your yep. purpose is to use your ability to communicate with many different and opposing people to bring about unity without becoming attached to drama and crisis. Only dead fish swim with the stream, unknown. The Cancer Four was swimming against the current in the womb. The wise ones have learned to avoid the rocks and debris. The stubborn souls are still getting banged about. Cancer Fours are comfortable with tension and whizzes at negotiations. They can bring anybody together. Jack Kemp, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, is known for his negotiating skills. And Landers has, has used her integrity, wit, and wisdom to become one of the most widely read columnists in America. Whoso would would be a man must be a nonconformist, Emerson. Cancer fours do not like things dull or easy. They make great sacrifices just to keep their differences. Extremes demand caution, for they don't lead to peace. Peace is not what they seek. The meeting point of two opposing forces is where they are comfortable. Their choice is the road less traveled. They know how to turn things to their advantage because they're versatile, and versatility is power. Matrix Fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike, with equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner. Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You know, I don't believe in that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But then you say something like that, like, oh, there's more to this. I knew that that was coming too because I I love your podcast. And so, yeah, that's a... I mean, shoot, we didn't need to talk for this this time. We should have said that right off the get-go. We would have been done with it, Scotty. <laughs> so now you know yourself a little better. That's good. I do. Uh, I do. <laughs> I do. With, with all that said, like one of the things that I said at the beginning, one of the things that I've remarked in, in encountering you and, uh, and I appreciate in you is that you, you are humble. And you mentioned in the thing that you wrote about your, that sort of being driven into you by your parents and stuff. Like what, where do, is that where it comes from? You, you sort of have this sense of, okay, I've, I've accomplished a lot and I, and I've learned a lot, but I also need to listen. And, and that's, that's an interesting combination. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I like to attribute to that. And I think it has a lot to do kind of with our upbringing and in and, and our culture, right? Like, um, 
Indo-Canadians in general um, are very hospitable. In fact, it's like if you came over, it's, you know, you, you have to share. You have to make sure your guest is taken care of, right? So there's this idea of just service is really what it is, you know, serving um, serving the, your guests or serving the other, other, other man. And I think that has always stuck with me. So I am, I am an A-type personality, but at the same time, I want to bring others with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where... I like to think I'm a team guy. Like the, the the goal of the team is more important than anyone's individual bias, anyone's individual um, kind of sub goal, if you will, and that has to be protected. Uh, and so it's it's easy for me to you know take criticism. Um, it's easy for me to want to integrate with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know working at Altus, this is just you know, the way we operate, like mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for us to have other therapists come down and, you know, help us with uh, managing athletes. And you can look at that, like, well, why do you have somebody else coming? If you're the lead, it's because I don't have all the answers. I said mm-hmm. that, right. My goal is to figure things out. And this is going to be a, a fast track way of uh, figuring some things out is by having a second set of eyes. Um, then it, you just have to be, you know, I guess, I guess it, it, the word is humble, but I just don't even think of it that way anymore. It's just kind of how I am as a person, right? Like just mm-hmm. the ability to work well with others now. Um, I think that is uh, something that you have to manage in the same point. Like I, if I wasn't the way I was when I was younger, like going through chiro school and just having, you know, I hate to say the word like chip on my shoulder, mm-hmm. but let's just use that. If I, if I didn't have that, would I be where I am now? Or I just been mm-hmm. this passive, you know, bystander in my education process and just be working in a, a clinic somewhere, which is totally fine if that's what your goal was. Right. But which just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I start to look back and then think about that. And yeah, it's probably, you know, the, the ideologies that are my parents kind of you know, ingrained in this about this idea of service. And what is, what does that really mean? And you can take that and expand it out to, for what I do now, it's, it's being able to work with others and being able to help them um, ultimately help you. Right. Well, I think it's that recognition also of growth too, like that you just talked about. I, I remember the, I don't know the quote exactly, but Muhammad Ali said something to the effect of a man at 50 is, if he's, is the same as the man at 30, he's wasted 20 years. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. obviously you you've grown and you recognize that growth to that end. Like when you look at being at Altus, what, what have been some maybe critical junctures in the last five years of maybe your thought paradigm that have changed or, or have become more, um, I guess, confirmed in some sense, or, right. you know, in, in that process of growth over the last five years. Yeah. I think, um, for me, Altus has been a force multiplier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a skill set coming in. You now have to be able to apply that same skill set or figure out a different way of doing it in a relatively short amount of time. And by short amount of time, I mean, do see something with one rep, fix it, right? And that's a challenge. And you have to be willing to kind of accept that challenge. So I, I think that if you come into the situation, you don't know how to critically think, you're, you're going to get exposed. Um, if you have an idea of how to critically think now you have time as your, uh, as the, the variable that you have to be able to manipulate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a valuable experience because you start to get uh, lean with your treatment therapy, as in you'll throw out the things that you know that are not going to help you. Uh, and you'll solely adapt to those things. that will probably give you the most information in a relatively short amount of time. Mm-hmm. I think that 
Um, I hate drawing comparisons between kind of what we do in the military because it's not like, I don't want to take um, any credit. Uh, I don't want this to be, be similar to what, you know, uh, our forces have to do because that's life or death. Mm-hmm. But some of their principles are highly applicable to, you know, the day in the life of a performance therapist. And, and one being just understanding that, that fog of war, if you will, right? Like we can have uh, a program laid out, um, but the athlete's ultimately going to be the one that determines whether or not we stick to plan A or we have to, you know, uh, go to a plan B workout. And I think being able to be intentful in your in, in the training environment, um, understand the demands of the program, but not just from a, you know, a piece of paper perspective, but really what that's going to do to an athlete's body, how they're going to react, and then mm-hmm. making your informed decision based off that in a very short amount of time, that's, you know, that's invaluable. And I mm-hmm. just don't think you can get that um, unless you're in the pressure cooker, right? Unless you're in the trenches kind of doing that. So mm-hmm. um, I think working here has, I mean, outside of obviously – you know, making my skill set so much <laughs> more uh, as far as like the depth and breadth of knowledge goes. Um, I think it provides an environment where it's sink or swim. And mm-hmm. this is where you're going to be exposed. So you're constantly challenged. Um, the, the one reality as well is, you know, we, we don't have good days all the time. In fact, I would say 95% of the time is not a good day. And, and what I mean by that is, if you don't respect the complexity that is the human body, it's easy to think I'm going to do treatment A to quote unquote fix this issue. Mm-hmm. What I've come to realize now is that we don't fix anything. We manage and we have to be very good at managing things. Right. Uh, and so that, that's why I say there's days where we're really good at managing issues and days where we're not. And I think that if we don't look at that from a, a perspective of honesty, it'd be really easy for us to get complacent. It'd be really easy for us to fall into confirmation biases and just continue to do what we've always done. And we're not about that. And so it is to me, the, the living version of that, right. Of, of being able to harness Kaizen, if you will, uh, and, and be able to apply your mind in real time, which has been invaluable. And I, I, I don't know how to perhaps articulate that the best, I don't know how to teach others. I guess it really is a, you know, learn by doing or get stuck in to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order, just use the discount code LYM20. Well, I would like to pivot off of that for a second into... um, Well, it's more just, I guess, a philosophical conversation, but my... One of my attractions to what you guys are doing and vice versa, I mean, you know, um, my pathway with the reconditioning and the belief systems I have, and they're very much dovetailed with, you know, just maybe a different angle on on some things. But fundamentally, I think at the end of the day, 
Um, what I what I have seen over my lifetime with um, with the the pure pure clinician is sometimes, unfortunately, uh, an affection for. Uh, the the creation of immediate change or the feeling of immediate change that an athlete or client will feel, um, without the recognition of the um, the the cost of that change and the uh, interpretation of that change in the in the physical element of the of the human body that you're working on. So how do you you know, make that change and then hold that change and use exercise and other means to maintain that change versus being sort of the the patient or client becoming addicted to the love, you know? And yeah. I think that's a huge, you know, I think that's a proposition of what you guys teach and what, what we teach that, that I think is fu- fundamentally different in that there's a, there's an ownership of you creating that change and there's a purposefulness to it that it's trying to, um, to move the rock in an, in sometimes an unknown direction, but you're, you're trying to move that rock own the move, the move that you made and then try to make the next move. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, it's, um, I, I think for us, it comes down to, again, this education process that we, um, that we instill within our athlete population. Mm-hmm. When I first got here, I was shocked to be honest of how, um, athletes were actually able to communicate, like working with hockey players, working with basketball players, here's the, the typical scenario. They jump on the table. Yeah, this is bothering me. And then that's mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. all the information you have, right? Uh, with this population, some of them could tell you almost pinpoint the muscle that was bugging them right now, whether or not that was actually the cause or effect is not, it's not the case. It's just, they have an understanding or inherent nature of how their body is tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always draw the analogy that these guys really are, uh, these guys and girls really are a, like a formula one race car. Mm-hmm. And our job is to just make sure that they're, they're working efficiently. And so the, the, the education process is still something to this day that you know, we, we try to instill. Um, therapy is not just this passive uh, component to their training aspect. It needs to be active. No different than when they do a rep and they're seeking um, some type of feedback from a coach. They should be seeking feedback from our therapeutic inputs. Like They need to be able to um, associate with what we're doing or what we're attempting to do, how we've <clears throat> identified a quote unquote problem and what we're going to do to rectify that problem. Um, but they're just doing it from a kinesthetic standpoint. And so can they gain kinesthetic awareness to understand what the input was and what it was trying to accomplish essentially from you know their, their motor output or their task performance. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that is something that we've done relatively well. Uh, and th- that really remains to this day, our philosophy. Like we just want to ensure that there is a change. There is an immediate change and it's intentful for the athlete. It's intentful for the coach, obviously for the therapist as well. Mm-hmm. Last question, circling right back to the beginning of us connecting today was, uh, you know, we're in this very weird time and you are a new dad. You've got a 19 month old and you're expecting a little one in September and you've been in this isolated sort of situation. And we were talking just before we got on about some of the challenges with that and how has your, um, the way you grew up and maybe the, the, the need to, you know, the, that immediate self gratification piece being, you know, not a part of, of your childhood. How is that serving you now? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> feast and famines, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of how uh, most people will navigate through life. There's going to be times where we're feasting. There's times we're going to be you know, in a point where we're, we're not going to have everything we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that 
you know, through both the way I was raised, um, through martial arts, especially jujitsu, and just understanding that patience truly is a virtue. I think that served me well um, in the sense that I, I know that we're going to have to ride out this storm probably longer than most of us um, care to. Uh, but it is something that we're, we're kind of in it together at the, at the very least, right? And there's always an opportunity to reach out to somebody. Um, the, the other half of it too, it, it, I'm kind of using this as a, uh, an opportunity now to spend obviously a little bit more time with my son and try to somehow instill those ideas on him as well, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, you know, it could be, I'm going to let you cry a little bit longer. Um, we're trying to get you into a routine so you understand that you don't get to have everything that you want um, necessarily kind of right away. And that, that in itself has been a challenge. Uh, I think communicating with the athletes right now has been also been a challenge. Um, I, I don't think there's a coach out there who can honestly say the minute you hit send on a text message, they're responding back to you right away or they're, they're getting back to you within 24 hours. Right. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a delay uh, in there as well, but you can use this opportunity now to, to work on the process rather than just having this, you know, the result that you want. Obviously for us, it was the Olympics, right? That, that, that's, uh, was the ultimate goal. But now we have an opportunity to kind of work through um, a process that will allow us to, you know, get an athlete there eventually. Obviously that those can be kind of time dependent, but in a matter that will really start to rectify some of the things that uh, we think are different. So yeah, it, it's been a very um, unique uh, environment to be in trying to manage both, family and athletes and really uh, to some degree you're kind of doing the same thing with both of them right you're trying to <laughs> trying to i'm um, babysitting my son and i'm probably babysitting a few of the athletes as well but uh well, yeah embrace the growth as they say yeah, yeah absolutely embrace, <laughs> embrace the growth. Yeah. well that's been a fantastic hour spent with you sir appreciate your time and uh hope um being on the other end of the conversation, not listening, but having uh, has been valuable to you. Oh, absolutely. Scotty, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've always loved the podcast. I think I mentioned that to you before. Should have been the DJ. I'm glad you're doing it now because uh, <laughs> all these talks are incredibly important uh, to gain perspective on, on the human aspect of things, right? Which is just, mm-hmm. let's not forget, there's human in human performance. And so that's, that, right. that's an important part. Yeah. Exactly. Good, good finish. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Have a good yeah. day. You too. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today. And we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.